Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, everyone? We're the Deep Drive Pod for episode number 71. Uh, the regular season finally coming down to a close. We got one more week. Most of the divisions, most of the playoff situations, except for a couple spots in the National League, are pretty much locked in. We talked about the AL Central. The AL Central's been locked in for a while. The White Sox have been loaded for postseason contention. I believe the Twins have as well. Uh, in the American League East, the Yankees clinched division. Uh, you know, after it got a little messy in August, they patched things up and brought themselves kind of back into a very dominant American League East lead and could potentially grab an 100-win season. The Astros basically have that buy and that number one seed locked up for the American League. The Dodgers very obviously are going to run away with the number one seed in all of baseball. And then now it just comes down to what who's going to finish first in the National League East and who's going to make that third wild card for the National League, or I guess the second one as well. Maybe the Padres have a Padres moment and like lose out or something. Uh, but, you know, this is kind of, we kind of know what the playoff field is going to look like. I believe the Brewers choked against the, the Marlins, if I'm not mistaken, that grand slam by Luis, um, Luis, Avisayo Garcia uh, off, of, <laughs> off of Freddie Peralta. Um, I'm pretty sure that sealed that game unless I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I think double check. Yep. That, that was the, that was the killer. All right. Um, uh, but James, what do you, what do you think about the national league wild card race right now? You got Phillies, Brewers, Padres. I mean, the Padres kind of pulled away a little bit, but you have basically the Brewers and the Phillies fighting for that last wild card and both teams just don't seem like they want it. Um, and it's been pretty funny to watch, but, uh, who do you think makes it out of those two? Okay, so I want to start talking about the Padres. Just on a positive note here, I've loved what they've been doing recently. You know, you come into it like a week ago, they were, you know, kind of right in the thick of it. And now they're three games up. They've got, I don't know what Fangraph says, but um, it's got to be at least 90% now. It's 98, 98%. Yeah, that they're making the playoffs. Like this team will make the playoffs. Um, I, pref- I prefer to look at 538 sometimes versus Fangraphs. It's not really that big of a difference, but... Um, 538 says over 99% for the Padres, 45% from the Brewers and 55% from the Phillies. But honestly, like, I don't think either the Brewers or the Phillies really deserve a playoff spot at this point. And, you know, we've been, we were talking about this, um, last time where it was like, you know, we are maybe not us specifically, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it where it's like, you know, this new wild card spot, like these teams are qualified. They deserve to make the playoffs. And I completely disagree with that. I think neither of these teams deserve a playoff spot. They're basically having a competition here who can piss away their spot the most. The Phillies, you can't get swept by the Cubs. Like you can't let that happen. Um, And then the Brewers, like even then with all that happening, you go, uh, you go into St. Louis and you split you know, you win 3-1 against the Reds. So, like, at least they're putting up somewhat of a fight here recently. But in the weeks before that, they were kind of, you know, slacking off. Like, obviously not on purpose, but losing games, they, they just have no business losing. Um, I think that the National League, not I disagree, like, with that view for the American League. Like, obviously, all six of the American League teams are more than worthy of a playoff spot. Um, all the way from Seattle to um, Houston as the one and six seed. But uh, in the National League, I think the playoffs could really go without the Phillies or the Brewers. 
Although if I were to have to pick one right now, I'm still going to lean Phillies. However, um, I think the Brewers in a playoff series might be more interesting. I, I think the funny thing about both of these teams, as you mentioned, is they're kind of trying, just trying to piss away their spot. It's just funny to see like live reactions on Twitter. Shout out Carson. Um, just seeing the fucking live tweets as each team continues to stumble over themselves, whether it's Freddie Peralta throwing a fastball down the cock to Abisayo Garcia, who cannot hit any breaking balls, um, you know, literally has the, one of the worst, his worst pitch against in terms of run value was a slider. Uh, he's awful against sliders and he goes fastball where he's slugging 424, which is respectable, I guess. Uh, and he, you know, bad things proceed to occur as to the Phillies, as you mentioned, how, like getting swept by the Cubs. I mean, I, I know that the Cubs have played well against teams above 500 relative to their actual record. Yeah. That, uh, that stat is just unreal to me. I saw it. It was a bleacher nation tweet um, yesterday where it was like, uh, I think the Cubs, it, it was the Cubs of the second most wins against above 500 teams in the national league behind the Mets ahead of the Dodgers ahead of the, you know, the Braves. And now, obviously, it's been a narrative surrounding the Braves this year that they don't beat good teams, and there is some truth to that, um, which may hurt them in the playoffs. We'll see. But the Dodgers was very surprising to me. Anyways, that's not the point. Um, the Cubs have actually had a really good second half, but that doesn't excuse the fact that the Phillies are losing games to a you know a team that's quote-unquote tanking, obviously not losing on purpose tanking, but like this team is bad. You can't, like, you can't be a playoff team and get swept by I guess now a third place team but like one of the you know five or six worst teams in major league baseball um, yeah they maybe were that's a deadline maybe that's a stretch but like maybe the Cubs are like 20th or 21st but that's really not the point this team is significantly worse than you and you like maybe you go in there you lose a game it's fine you can't lose three in a row and I know the Cubs sent out like very, very, very good pitching um, with Stroman and Wisniewski in the first two games. Um, but you, you, there's no excuse for this. You sent out Wheeler and Nola and you couldn't beat the Cubs. I think the funniest thing about this is that if we recorded this podcast like two, three weeks ago and talked about, okay, who's making the playoffs, Phillies or, or Brewers, we would sit here and say, yeah, the Brewers are dead in the water. The Phillies have a pretty good grasp on this they have you know games against the cubs and whatever and all they have to do is play decent baseball to make it and they've decided instead that not counting today they'll go three and seven or maybe this is counting today they oh no no, no this is not because they got 71 losses they're supposed to be at 72 uh there were three for their they were three off uh, so seven there's three and games. eight in their last 11 yeah and um the brewers have decided to play meh baseball they're five and six in their last 11 uh so again like neither of these two teams necessarily inspire me as a you know a, a team fighting for that last wild card spot whereas if i look at a team like the mariners the rays the jays have kind of just fought neck and neck all year to maintain some sort of advantage in the wild card though you could argue the wild card advantage is just not being the one or two seed there uh you know as for even teams like Baltimore, Baltimore has fallen off a cliff and they're still in the hunt somehow, though they're probably going to get eliminated tomorrow because all the Rays have to do is win a single baseball game to clinch that final spot. Um, it's just, I don't know, that Nat 
the funniest thing is this could come back to bite us in the ass because all it would really take is what Woodruff or Burns going out there and shoving and knocking out uh, a team like, let's say, the Braves or the Cardinals. Or no, they'd play the Cardinals, I believe, right? Because Yeah, I mean, it's definitely realistic that the Brewers knock off the Cardinals or the Phillies. Yeah. Um, either of these two teams, um, they have the starting pitching to do that. Um, their offenses are really sketchy, and the Cardinals have a, just a completely loaded offense. So there's a major difference there, obviously. Um, and I said this in in the group chat yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. Um, I was saying if I'm San Diego, I'd start losing games on purpose. Um, and I know they're not actually going to do that, but uh, I would I would think about it um, to avoid the Braves. And I know you know maybe not in baseball as much as other sports, but like last year the um, we saw it in, in the NBA playoffs in the Eastern Conference where teams were, uh, I think it was Boston. Uh, no, it was Milwaukee. was trying to avoid Boston in the first round until they lost. But um, I think I could be wrong with those teams, by the way. Uh, but if I'm San Diego, I'm losing games on purpose here. I'd rather play the Cardinals than the Braves. Yes, but then you and have then to follow that up. And then on top of that, if you play the Cardinals, then you play the Mets instead of the Dodgers. Don't you so, play the Dodgers? No, no, no. Isn't isn't it the Dodgers? Three six. No, the three, oh, it, three six plays two. One plays right, four or five. Right. So I mean, like, I get that San Diego's winning games here and it's good for them, but I I actually think they're hurting themselves in the long run. I will say, um, in the defense, uh, like kind of as a as a devil's advocate point here, I agree. By the way, the Dodgers. I mean, I think the Dodgers are fucking loaded. Uh, but you could maybe make the argument that playing the Mets in a short series, if they're in the NLDS, of course, isn't the most ideal thing because you would have to face DeGrom and Scherzer in games one and two without your number two starter available if the wild card series goes a certain way. Uh, and that doesn't sound very fun. I would not want to be playing. I don't know. You have Edwin Diaz closing games too. Like I feel like that DeGrom Scherzer games, if Diaz is allowed to go back to back, which he probably would on. He will. He's gone three days in a row this yeah. year. He'll definitely go back to back in the playoffs. Like, he might even go for six out saves on certain days. It depends what the Mets are trying to do. Um, he's he's had a couple six out saves this year, I think. But um, yeah, I think the Mets are going to lock up this two seed. But this will be a really fun series this weekend. Um, starting tomorrow between the Mets and the Braves. The Mets are favored tomorrow. It's Freed and DeGrom. Uh, they set it up so that DeGrom will be ready in case they need him for game 162. So it'll be interesting to see if they already have that spot locked up or if they need to use DeGrom uh, on, what is it, Wednesday or Tuesday against, um, no, it might be, the last day of the season's Wednesday, right? So yeah, on Wednesday against the Nationals, it'll be interesting if they need to use DeGrom that day. Um, because obviously you'd rather have him for game one, which would be Saturday in the NL. Oh, wait, no, no, all of them are Friday. I read that wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. Uh, cause obviously if you then lose that game with DeGrom on the mound, then you're kind of screwing yourself because you won't be able to use him until maybe not even game three, if even then. So I don't know. It's an interesting decision. I think the one thing that really scares me with whatever what scares me with this National League wild card situation if I'm a team what you know stuck in the wild card situation is just how many good one two punches exist in the NL. I would say the Cardinals are the only team that doesn't have like a really damn good one two punch. And uh, their offense more than makes up for that. 
I wouldn't say here's the thing. Uh, I mean, yes, they're the second best offense in the national league. I don't think that's up for debate. Um, but I don't know. It's just like when you're facing really good pitching, the Cardinals do one thing very well. And that's they don't, I mean, one thing they do very well is that they don't strike out and they run a high ISO. Uh, and that, you know, should probably, and that bodes them. well against good pitching. Yeah. So, you know, they're one of, you know, one of the few teams to run a really high ISO isolated power and not strike out a lot. We're thinking, you know, the Houston Astros have always performed well in the playoffs. They're in that category as well. The Dodgers run a high ISO. They don't strike out very much. Um, you know, the one thing that kind of pushes you to like the Cardinals is that if their offense is red hot, they can steamroll teams. Uh, but I will say, you know, looking at a team like the Braves, like they can put together pretty good offensive performances and they have guys like Strider and Freed in a one-two punch there. Um, they run a higher strikeout rate. Their plate discipline is not nearly as good as some of these other top teams. Uh, I, I, I would say if, you know, the way I would say it is, uh, and I was hearing about this on uh, the Rates and Barrels podcast. Eno Sars and Derek Van Ripper do that podcast. They were talking about how, you know, if you're going to have a bad hitter, you know, a guy who's not going to perform well in OPS or OPS plus or whatever stat you use for that, um, you'd rather them be a high contact guy rather than a high strikeout guy because if they put up those, like, they call it like lottery tickets, basically. Batted ball, maybe there's a chance it goes through for a hitter and moves someone over. The Cardinals, they're bad hitters, which is like Yadier Molina, exclusively uh, is at least having a chance. Every batted ball, maybe something, some team makes a boneheaded play or something stupid happens and he gets a hit out of it. Uh, whereas you look at teams like Atlanta, where some of their guys, if they get cold, I mean, you look at, you know, oh, uh, I mean, I know Duvall's hurt, but even I mean, you know, how do we uh, feel about Dylan Carlson as a hitter though? Like he's kind of, I don't know if he'll start for them per se. Like he might not be that guy in the outfield um, on a regular basis. I know that for now they've only platooned him versus lefties. Um, and he hits lefties pretty well from what I, from what I've heard from Cardinals fans. Um, yeah. He's got a 138 WRC plus against lefties versus righties. He's only 82. So, I mean, maybe, maybe they'll stick to the platoon there, but he's kind of that guy where I would be more concerned about him than a guy like Molina in the playoffs because he does strike out a decent amount, 20%, and he's not that great of a hitter. I mean, he's a good defender, but like 20% isn't high enough for me to really be like... Oh, great uh, defender. He's an elite defender. Yeah, I, uh, he, he's, he's a good center fielder, all things considered. I mean, compare like some of the other center fielders in baseball. He's probably one of the better options you could have out there. Um, his strikeout rate, he's going to run it around 19, 20%. That doesn't concern me too much. The walk rate isn't great, but it isn't below average either. The base running is really good. The defense is really good. Um, I, I guess for Carlson, it's just, he's just an anomaly in that lineup because he doesn't have, like, I feel like the Cardinals have done a really good job at getting a lot of power out of guys who aren't necessarily uh, guys you think of as these big time power bats. Like Lars Newtbar has taken a huge jump uh, in terms of the power department. Uh, his isolated power is well over 200. He walks a lot. He doesn't strike out. Um, he runs a high slugging percentage. He doesn't hit for a high average, but that doesn't really matter when you're running a high OBP and you're not striking out and you're walking a lot and you're doing all those things well. He has a 113 max exit loss. It's four points higher than last year. 
Um, you know, even Pujols. I mean, Pujols is the highest pulled fly ball rate in baseball. I don't understand how they got Albert Pujols to run the highest pulled fly ball rate in baseball in a 140 WRC plus, but uh, that's some of that Cardinals devil magic there. I mean, they they just legitimately have a very well built, well structured offense where it's going to be hard to get whiffs on them. Um, if you know, if I look at you know a. Even if, even if they find their way to play a team like the Mets, it'll be interesting to see how DeGrom and Scherzer, I know Scherzer owns the Cardinals, but it would be interesting to see how DeGrom navigates through a lineup that refuses to whiff. And also most of those guys sit for pretty good power. Um, you know, And that's a team like the Astros. That's, um, you know, it's really rare that you find an entire roster that can kind of put those two skills together because they almost work against each other, right? putting the right. ball in play a lot, never striking out and hitting a lot of home runs. It's really hard to do all of those things. Those are the best offenses in the league. Those are the best players in the league. And that's what you're seeing in St. Louis. Uh, San Diego as a five seed. They do actually scare me if I'm an Atlanta fan, uh, which obviously I'm not. But uh, you look at San Diego, it's, it's Soto, it's Machado. These guys are the type of guys who can win you a playoff series on their own. Um, similarly to how Stanton did with the Rays, I know they lost that series, but like, you know, that type of performance, you can definitely, you know, it wouldn't be crazy to get that out of Machado or Soto, two of the top 10 hitters in the league. And then, you know, you've got great pitching too. Like you were saying, the one, two punch with Darvish and, uh, and Musgrove, uh, I think that team can, they could be one of those giant killers in the playoffs where they knock off a team like the, the Braves and maybe even um, a team like the Mets. Although I guess they would play the Dodgers and the Dodgers kind of own them. But, you know, this the, I think the playoffs this year will be really exciting because there's so many. I don't think there's – we're not going to get as many, like, sweeps or quick series, I don't think. I think it'll be a lot of, you know, going the distance. Yeah, and I think for – I mean, baseball would definitely – Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred would be very happy about that. Uh, and if you look at just the amount of star talent, you mentioned Soto, Machado. I mean, uh, you're going to get to see Musgrove. Kind of, I think that would be his postseason debut, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, it you have guys. Be, right? He's it has to be. He wasn't on the 2020. Team. Yeah, he wasn't on the 2020 team, which is the kind of the that was the only like variable there. Uh, the Dodgers always have star talent. You know, you're going to see Freddie Freeman. Like, what if Freddie Freeman has to go to Atlanta play a playoff game or playoff series? That'd be pretty, pretty good uh, TV to watch. Degrom versus and Scherzer. Oh, and DeGrom it's definitely like one. it's it's one of the biggest possibilities for sure. Is that the um, yeah they end up playing each other in the first round of the playoffs because um, in the first in that in the DS right because of yeah. uh, how it's lined up. You know, it depends, obviously, if the Mets win that division, which it seems as if they will. Um, they've, according to 548, again, 74% chance of winning the NL um, East, whereas the Braves are at 26%. Um, I don't know, like, if you project their record, they'll, they'll both probably win 100 games, but, you know, it's hard to say that uh, with, you know, uh, as much, like, confidence uh for some reason and i'm actually interested by why this would be the cardinals only according to 538 have a 2% chance of winning the world series which is the same as the guardians and lower than teams like the blue jays rays um and you know and it's actually lower than the guardians if you rank them so that's a little confusing to me i think they're definitely 
one of those contenders. I know numbers may not always favor the Cardinals. They're kind of one of the, like we always say, that one of those devil magic teams, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm going to trust the Cardinals offense over the Rays offense almost any day of the week. And we've 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 really never not that we've never seen it, but it's hard to imagine that. I mean, how many teams, you know, with mediocre offenses consistently go out and win the World Series on great pitching only? Um, you know, it doesn't really happen that often. Uh, you know, you can look at his 2015 Royals, but that was a team that we kind of look back on as this anomaly kind of throwback team and that they're always the team everyone brings up when there's a team that doesn't conform to the power hungry norms of today's game as like, oh, look at how they played. Uh, but, you know, if you look at the Cardinals, uh, if you look at the Rays, even like the offense, what they do is they very much optimize. They get the most out of their lineup. You know, Kevin Cash has always been very good at that. They're a very good pitching staff. Um, but kind of my big issue with the Rays going into a playoff series would be in terms of isolated power, they rank, you know, 23rd in terms of strikeout percentage. They're over 23%, which this season would put them in the 12 with the 12 highest, highest strikeout rate. So they strike out a little bit more than other teams do. They don't hit for a lot of power. I just don't think that offensive concoction is going to work very well for you in October, especially against, you know, let's say you're facing uh, Luis Castillo uh, or, or even you're facing, you know, the Guardians who have, you know, who took two out of three and kind of three really close games. Um, it just feels like if I'm Cleveland, I can get, you know, a Jose Ramirez moonshot home run at any point in time. Uh, you know, Stephen Kwan can put out some lottery tickets. Uh, you know, you could run. I, don't even, like, I wouldn't even call Stephen Kwan's hits lottery tickets. Yeah, it's not I like, wouldn't. It's not like we were saying earlier with a guy like Yadi Molina, where he just kind of puts the ball in play and hope for the best. Whereas Kwan is hitting the ball hard. He's and actually, he walks. the difference is he's actually a good hitter. Um, yeah, that's I, like, and Rosario has been hitting well at the top of their lineup. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez has been hitting really well. Obviously, Jimenez has been one of the most improved players in the league this year. One of the you know best second basemen in the league this year. This Cleveland team is better than a lot of people think, and I think a lot of people are sleeping on them as far as um, winning a winning a playoff series um, in the first round. They're, they're right now. Uh, they're the three seed. They're probably they're I think they're locked into the three seed. I don't think they can. Yeah, they can't. They, they won the division and the Yankees hold that advantage over them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking they're, they're definitely three six is up for grabs. So we don't know exactly who that could be. It could be any of Toronto, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and technically mathematically Baltimore, but it won't be them. Uh, and I think any of those teams like the guardians could slap the shit out of singles and beat them. And whereas like, I don't trust a team like the Rays as much, especially given um, I don't know how to feel about glass now, obviously right now. And then they lost Shane Baz for the year, uh, which really sucks for them. Um, if for this year and next year uh, for him, but after McClanahan, that Rays pitching, like it's, you know, obviously you can't sleep on them because it's the Rays and they always seem to get good pitching performances out of, out of people. But uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about Drew Rasmussen and, Corey Kluber and Jeffrey Springs as my playoff rotation. So we'll have to see what happens there. I give them the benefit of that with pitching. You know, they've gotten the, they've gotten great performances from Rasmussen Springs all year, but I do think they're going to shorten how long they go in a playoff setting. Um, I think that is kind of obvious. They've historically never really been a team that goes out and says, yeah, go and give me as many innings as you can. It's more so, uh, you know, give me, 
you know, your best over a set amount of times to the order or based on situations. Kevin Cash is a great manager for a reason. There's a reason I believe he's coming off of back-to-back managers, managers of the year should probably, you know, you could make the argument he should win a third one. And I don't think that's really, I don't know how many times it's happened in, in the post-integration era. Um, but, you know, Tampa, Toronto, Seattle, I think I think I, I think I can confidently say I would pick Seattle and Toronto over Tampa as teams. You know, Toronto's another one of those teams that they don't, you know, they don't strike out a lot. You know, they they figure out how to, they, they've hit very well. They don't strike out a lot. They have good power. You know, they're very Houston-like as an offense, though it, you know, actually they line up really, really similarly with them in terms of like position player F war, plate discipline. They're very similar in what walks and strikeouts. Uh, Houston has a little more power, but Toronto has a better WRC+. plus. Um, these are very similar baseball teams uh, in terms of offense, except Houston's pitching staff is very deep and Toronto's is questionable after the first two guys who are very good, by the way, in Gosman and Manoa, uh, but everyone else kind of stinks in that rotation. Uh, Ross Tripling's a question mark. Mitch White sucks. Jose Barrios, we don't know what Jose Barrios we're going to get. Um, you know, the Astros just feel like that perfect combination of we ha- we want to ro- we run a low strikeout percentage. They're nineteen point five percent. You know, there are big four guys in terms of Alvarez, Altuve, Bregman, and Tucker run strikeout rates no higher than eighteen point seven percent. I believe that's Jordan's strikeout rate. Altuve and Bregman, I believe, walk more than they strike out. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. they don't. They don't strike out. They walk I know. Bre- I know Bregman always has. I don't know about Altuve this He's year. He's close, and Tucker is close as well to having a higher walk rate than strikeout. And I mean, rate. even then, like so, Bregman is is walking more than he's striking out as always. That's you've kind of come to expect that out of him. Um, uh, another guy we were talking uh, here, Houston Alvarez is only four percent off. He's walking fourteen percent of the time, striking out eighteen percent of the time. He has a four hundred on base percentage, one eighty four WRC plus. And 6.3 war as a fucking DH is insane. That's and he like, missed time. That's that's like beyond. And I know he's played some outfield, but that's that's unreal. And then and then Altuve's a few percentage points off, but not not percentage points. A few percent off, but you know, still uh, walking a ton. And he's also having a six win season. Uh, I think th- I think they have three. They have three players who are gonna have six win seasons. Um, Maybe not, maybe not Bregman, but we'll see. With that, this team's loaded, and they always are. Uh, we'll see, you know, what they can do in the playoffs, but I'm sure that they'll make noise in the American League. They'll make the ALCS. They'll probably beat the Yankees again if the Yankees make it there um, because that's what they do. Yeah, unfortunately for me. But, um, I mean, that's – like, they have built the perfect offense for a playoff series. And I don't know why it's taken like one thing that I never really understand about like a team like the Yankees is how do you get your ass kicked by the Astros consistently and never try to build a team like them? Um, I don't really get it. It doesn't make much sense. And it feels like sometimes, especially with the offense, uh, their team isn't always built I feel like if you look at how the Ashes succeed, the Dodgers have succeeded in the playoffs. Those are the two most, they have the most playoff wins since 2016 and 2017, whatever sample that is. Um, and then the two most winning teams in the regular season as well. Uh, you know, every team should try to model how they develop players the same way those guys do. And if you look at the Astros, I would argue what impresses me more about the Astros is their pitching. Verlander, Valdez, Javier, Garcia, McCullers, they've moved Hunter Brown to a bullpen role. I mean, dude, these guys are loaded, right? You know, they're loaded. 
you know, McCullers is running a 61 ERA minus, a 2.38 ERA. You know, yeah, Luis I was, Garcia. I was writing an article about McCullers. He's, I think he's like the X factor for them. Yeah, if he's they gonna, can, if they can get what? I said he's like back to last year basically. Already, and it's been like quick. And I mean, he'll he'll probably start game three. I'd assume for them. Uh, right. He. I mean, I don't know. It's probably. I would him. start Javier maybe. Like worst case scenario, oh, let me start the guy with a 68 ERA minus and 33.1% strikeout rate, you know, and great peripherals. You know, that's my worst case scenario, you know. I, and I don't know if that's your worst case scenario, but. For, for your, what, for your three start? I mean, if you assume McCullers is not as good as Javier, then that's your three. And if McCullers right. and is your so game it could starter, be It could be game four, but even then you go one, two, three, four, Verlander Valdez, Javier McCullers, or McCullers Javier, however they go about it, it's, you know, it's kind of unmatched in the American League. Yeah, um, I'm pretty as sure far they as have the best minus. They're as both as depth, obviously, obviously, in the National League, there's the Dodgers who have, you know, that type of lineup, but I mean, uh, type of rotation, but I mean, in the American League, I don't think you can really compare anyone. You know, we had gotten to that argument about whether you'd rather have Verlander or Cole as your ace, but I think even if you take Cole in that scenario in the playoffs, you still have to go two, three, four, and in that case, you've got to take that. Like, I'd rather have Javier than uh, Cortez in game three. Yeah, I would rather have Javier than any star. I mean, I, I'm a Severino guy, so I'll say, you know, Luis Severino, but um, I'd, I'd rather, rather have, have Javier ever. and Valdez than any other starter in the Yankees except for Cole. Yeah, I would, I would rather have – I mean, Valdez straight up is – I mean, it, Valdez is putting up a remarkable season that's getting overlooked because of the fact that his teammate happens to be Justin Verlander, who's also who's, having an unreal season. And then they acquired Will Smith at the deadline. One thing the Astros ever had was a good left-handed reliever, and he's been good with them. You know, 3-4-3 ERA, 2-9-2 FIP, good peripherals. Um, his win probability added is in the positive. You know, it means he's pitching in high leverage, which is a good thing for him. Um, he's not getting barreled. I remember in Atlanta, a big thing was he was getting smoked. They would just tee off of him home run-wise. Not happening here, uh, which is weird because he's going to Houston, which is kind of a more home run-friendly ballpark. Yeah, but that doesn't change barrels. Like, barrels are raw data. That has nothing to do with the ballpark. No, of course, um, but it's just impressive. So, you know, and it's interesting, you know, that maybe the Astros don't get as much, um, like, the bullpen kind of, they don't get as much view, uh, as much, like, they're not talked about as much as, like, the Mariners or the Rays. But, you know, you look down this bullpen, they've Hector Norris has really, really, really good peripherals despite the 380 RA. And then you have guys like Montero, who is all of a sudden Rafael Montero was, I think, DFA'd last year, right? Um, and now he's pitched in 68 games for them, 66 innings, 247 ERA, 2-6 uh, uh Brian Abreu has a 201 ERA in 58 innings. Ryan Presley, obviously, is their closer, 232 FIP. Um, and then Ryan Stanek has a 1.21 ERA in 52 innings. That's nothing. Like, even though his peripherals aren't as great, he has a major, major walk problem. Um, like all of their relievers with at least 30 innings this year have an ERA under four. And Seth Martinez has also been great. Like uh, you look at this, you know, this, this bullpen and it's, it's going to be tough to score against this team late in games. After you take out those starters, they might, they might like be winning these games, 10, nothing, 11, nothing in playoff games, which you normally don't see. 
Oh yeah, and one of their new relievers is a guy in Hunter Brown who throws a ninety-four mile per hour slider. Uh, it's still classified as a slider. I, I have a feeling. I think it hunt- looks more like a cutter, but it does. But it, you would imagine that gets reclassified after you know a couple of innings at the major league level. I mean, I mean, I'm going to look at the. My bad. I apologize. 1.06 ERA, 17 innings. Uh, you know, strike gas. He <laughs> just throws fucking gas, dude. Like strike rate, 25. Like, the, <laughs> and I I think some people on you know when his, he made his first start were comparing his mechanics to Justin Verlander's. I think I saw that. Yeah, but um. He, I mean, he's obviously tough to hit. He's got a 106 ERA, 2.17 FIP so far. Obviously, only 17 innings, but if they can parlay this into him being a starter next year for them, that's scary with the other with the other guys. Um, especially if they can uh, retain Verlander, who should opt out. Yeah, I, dude, I'm trying to like I'm looking at like the pitch movement profiles on the slider. That's a slider, dude. Like, uh, there's no way that's like either that's a ridiculous cutter in terms of pitch movement or that's a slider. Yes. And remember, even if it's the cutter, a 94 mile power cutter is a really hard cutter. Like, that's it's not, not a, like, yeah, it's not like a class A 102, but yeah, for starting, I mean, what? Uh, I know Cole throws his cutter and that's it's not at 94. And I know and Cole throws gas and I know he doesn't throw his at 94. Like, I know that for a fact that he doesn't sit 94 in his cutter. Uh, but it, it it definitely moves. Like I'm trying to get exact measurements here. Statcast says in terms of movement, it's like just below average. But I don't like using their below average metrics because they they're weird. They like. All right, let's look at um, look at it. Let's let's talk MVP. So if Otani yeah. throws a no hitter here, he's the MVP, right? Uh, I would rather be executed than ever say that Judge isn't the MVP. No, so. I mean this. I I can't believe people are still debating this. Uh, Otani can throw a no hitter tonight, and Aaron Judge is still the MVP. I oh hope shit. Otani gets a no hitter. I hope he gets. He a no is hitter. gonna get it. I think. I he's, hope he does. I'm I'm jinxing him. Watch. He's at eight innings now. Seven point two. That's another strikeout. It's the A's. They suck. Um, he looks unreal right now. Uh, his stuff is immaculate. But I mean, I just I really want to see him on a playoff team next year. Dude, I I told I I'm like full because like you know we're talking about how teams use their um the Mets. I think he's a Mets. Yeah, he's a pretty fun Cub. Cub. Yeah, but you said playoff team. I don't know if the Cubs make the playoff playoff team next year. I'd say it's a I'd say pushing fifty percent odds would be a little bit crazy. If you want to see him on a playoff team, sure. I would just say you add Otani to this team and they bring up their guys. Right, but we're trying. I don't know. Okay, it's is it that you want Otani or you want what do you want? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say you want him on the Cubs when you want him to guarantee a, a spot in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. What? Right. So, um, I guess my point more so is if you want to run the highest playoff odds, uh, just put him on the Dodgers. Actually, so never mind. Screw that. I think so. With, uh, this is an interesting thing because I know the Giants fans were flooding the comments on every Aaron Judge post about him going there, but where do we realistically think he ends up next year? Because it may not be New York. And I know he wore like the New York or nowhere. Um, do you say it's not? You think it's not, you think no, it's gone? not going to be the giants. I I'm Gary. I will put as I will sit here right now. I hope if people come back to this, whatever, 
He has a 0% fucking chance of going to the Giants. If you think the San Francisco Giants are ponying up that money, oh, but, he, but, but the Yankees won't pay him. His market value is over $300 million. They didn't go out and spend money on a shortstop. They brought back Brandon Crawford when he was older. Obviously, you're, you're buying high on him. You could have gone out and spent money, gotten Carlos Correa, probably end up leaving the market. You have a better team, younger team. You need youth. Um, and you think that the Giants are going to go out and outspend the Yankees or the Mets. If he doesn't go back to the Yankees, you, you don't think any other team, baseball, the Cubs even. I believe in the Cubs more he can't. to give Aaron Judge that money. Oh, they the will. Giants. I think they'll offer him something. Uh, right. I wonder if this is going to be a hit or an error here because it went past the shortstop. It looks it's probably a hit. Oh, that's but unfortunate. We'll oh, that's that's um, terrible. I'm, I'm crying right now, actually. Anyways, <laughs> no, I'm thinking like you look at what um what they're doing right and it would only make sense for the cubs to offer judge that massive contract they obviously have the funds to do so um especially given that they saved on correa last year and it's also a possibility that they just go out and get correa yeah um even though they didn't last year now they're a year closer um but yeah i think judge's market i i'd assume it's mets it's yankees um it's like, I, I don't know who else will be in that market because who else, who else has that money and is willing to spend it? I don't necessarily know. I mean, I just, I can't imagine that. And I know this is going to be, oh, you're New York biased. Well, I mean, New York's a pretty fucking big market. I, I don't think this is biased. I think this is basic economics. You know, Chicago's a big market. They've got money. The Giants are not a small market team, but do oh, they? Oh, San Francisco is a massive market, right? But have they shown the financial history of going out and spending a lot of money? And I don't know if it's there in terms of giving Judge that big contract. Remember, this is not about well, can they have a payroll that's high? Yes, but can they give? What one guy, right? Uh, like, and they didn't you know, go we on to get Harper. We were talking about this with um DeGrom, right? Where you're saying, you know, how much could he make if he signed a short term deal? Um, Jacob DeGrom probably it's looking, I don't know why people are assuming this, and that there probably is a reason, and a lot of people would know more than me why, why DeGrom is like projected not projected but expected to leave new york um you know a lot of people are like he'll be a, a brave next year i don't know if i really believe that uh so much i don't know why he would want to leave the mets but you know at the same time like how much money could you get if you're him or if you're a judge signing a short-term deal judge i mean i i mean you get guaranteed only in his prime too. You don't have to ever pay about, you don't have to ever worry about paying those later deals. I know there's a limit, you know, because everything has a limit. I imagine that the number is a little less lucrative. Like I know some of them might think hundred million dollars. I don't know if a team gives them a hundred million dollars for a one year deal. I what if the Dodgers do it? They might just go out and do it. Maybe. I mean, I just, I've never seen the team spend 350, 360 million dollars of payroll in a single year. And, you know, if the, and the Dodgers, we have never seen the Dodgers. Is it like, the, I think the Dodgers payroll this year is the highest of all time. I could be wrong, but I think someone's run a $300 million payroll before. Someone has had to run a, th- has anyone run a 300 million? Also, Otani gave up two hits after you made your comment, which is fucking hilarious. Yeah, I know. Um, he's still in there, though. He'll finish the eighth, probably. Um, yeah, so the Dodgers actually 
have run a $300 million payroll before. I yeah, I imagine someone's done it, but I don't know. Like 350 isn't pushing it crazy, but I guess if you go, hey, uh, fuck it, Aaron Judge, here's all the money in the world. Uh, Cody Bellinger, we're DFAing you. You suck ass. Uh, we'll put, you know, bets in center, Judge in right. Uh, who's their left fielder right now? I forgot. It's probably someone good. And I just forgot. It's Gallo. Oh, right. It is Gallo. Huh. Well, it wasn't someone good, so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Sorry. I mean, imagine, imagine putting those two. Those are the two best And Freeman? Friends. Imagine having to pitch to bets, Freeman and Judge. Like, you're and dead. Turner. You're not pitching. And Turner and fucking uh, Will Smith. And, and, and Muncie. Yeah, Justin Turner's in there as well. He's hitting pretty good. Dude, you don't keep I mean, obviously, like, this Gavin is a, Lux is a pretty this is never hitter. This obviously, but it'd be, it'd be, I mean, okay. Yankee fan, not not my Yankee fan talking, obviously. This would kill me. I would I would stop watching baseball. I actually like how how pissed off would Yankees or not even pissed off, how fucking crazy would Yankees fans go if Judge ends up in Queens? If he ended up with the Mets, here's the thing. I would just argue that the Mets gave him not an, too much money for any team to reasonably match the offer. That would be my argument because and they probably will. They they because I'm they, a sad. They culprit. shell out really three hundred and forty million dollars for Lindor. They they'll do the same shit for Judge. Yeah. Ultimately, here's the thing. Um, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm I'm like the Judge thing. I'm already prepared for both outcomes. Judge signs the Yankees. Well, you gotta overpay the guy because he's a superstar. He brings in revenue. This and that. He'll make his money back. If they, he leaves, well, you can spend the money more effectively somewhere else, wherever it may be. I'm ready for whichever outcome. I'm ready to cope. I'm ready to come up with my statement. I have both options ready. I'm going to be transparent. Like, I have no idea what the right decision is. I don't care what the right decision is. Whichever decision my franchise makes, I'm going to have to live with it. So I'm just going to go out and be positive about it. Even though I fucking hate someone. Okay, well, here's the thing. Two things. First, you just said you have to be, um, you have to go with whatever decision your franchise makes, which isn't true considering your franchise made a decision and you fucking left them. Um, One. Okay, that's different. They didn't make, they made, the Browns objectively made, like there's bad decision-making and they're good. They're actually good this year. Yes, because they're like, Kevin Stefanski's a good head coach and like they, they, they actually are a good NFL team. But the problem is they didn't make a bad, they didn't make a bad, like bad process. They didn't make a bad roster move. They made a bad ethical move. It's right. Different. I could not literally, I tried, even after the Watson move, I didn't like immediately say, fuck it, I'm a Giants fan. I was like trying, like, okay, just pre- just pretend he isn't there. It's just, just like the rest okay. of the team. Couldn't fucking yeah, I get happen. it. But, um, no, but um, with the judge thing, I'll, now it's my turn to be transparent. I don't like Aaron Judge at all. And uh, this is mainly because I hate the Yankees, but like, uh with judge like i think this like i'm happy for him even though i don't like him because he bet on himself and he won and you know because there was extension talk earlier on in the season or in the last off season right where they couldn't find a deal it's the same thing with lamar jackson uh and the ravens i'm happy for lamar jackson where you know, he's going to get paid now more than the 245 that, that the Ravens declined or whatever. And it's the same thing with uh with Judge. I think they probably could have locked him up for about 200 million before the start of the season, maybe 225, 250 over like an eight-year deal. 
do you disagree with that? I mean, the thing is, like, both of these guys, in terms of you know Lamar Judge, right? Like they they whatever money whatever they ask for, assuming it's not some you know something that is video game numbers like they're gonna get whatever they ask for because you know you're willing to overpay for superstars, right? You 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 know not for like a like a fifth starter, but for Aaron Judge, Lamar yeah, but Jackson. you you know you have guys who bet on themselves and they lose, right? And that happens all the time. Uh, you saw it, you know, Judge's team, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, two years ago, he had a pretty big extension offer from the Cubs, declined it, and then ended up getting like a third of that in free agency. Yeah, and he's never going to touch. You know, even this year, he's been good, but the, the back injuries, man. I, you know, it's not. I he's think opting he can out. Still get twenty million in the yeah, offseason. but that's uh, four million dollar AAV upgrade. You're not going to give him more than like two years, maybe three years. Like, yeah, the guys, the back. I mean, issue. and the the contract he declined was small. It was five years, seventy million, so fourteen a year. But, um, you know, you see that happens like, and the biggest example of this I'll always remember is Dennis Schroeder when he declined 84 million from the Lakers and now he doesn't have a job, but, um, back with the Lakers actually back. Does he have a job? He's with the Lakers. They resigned. Him. Anyway, he's making like the he's making nothing. Minimum. Making nothing. He's making the veteran minimum. He could well, be making $18 million. Like he fucked up. It's I will say. Million. I'm going to say he's making nothing, but if he were to, if I were to ever make his salary, uh, you know, I'd be looking pretty fucking good right now. Yeah, obviously. But his salary, whatever, 800,000, $900,000 million he's making is nothing compared to the 24 million that he should be making had he made the right decision. And, you know, it's, it sucks for the players to see something like that happen. But at the same time, like with judge, um, he bet on himself and now he probably made himself 150 million dollars extra because now i wouldn't be all that surprised if he got you know a 10-year deal 300 million dollars even though he's 30 years old if if the yankees if if i would sign on and 300 million dollars for 10 years for judge like if that was his ask right now i'd say yeah yeah take it yeah sure 100 30 million dollars 10 years fuck it I'll, I'll eat the last two years they'll suck whatever who cares i i don't uh, think it'd be the last two years it'd be the last like four do you well, like last a, th- two, a 37 year old two. judge is good i think a 37 year old aaron judge like do you think a 37 year old judge is worth 30 million dollars no and obviously there's two things one you're the yankees you can front load it and just pay eat the salary right now because that's what the yankees like can do with their um you know with the amount of money that they have, but then also not just that um, they could set up the contract in a way that, you know, is you expect the market to change, right? Because even 10 years ago, the the record setting contract was Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez, right? And he was making like 250. And now the biggest contract of all time is 460. Obviously it's, it's going to slow down. I'd assume we will probably won't see, you know, the next, you know, the next, next rookie sensation in 2027 signing a $700 million deal. But, Maybe. you know, you what? Well, actually, Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris both got locked up. And Strider, he has no chance of hitting. No, I don't mean that. I mean, like, I mean, like, rookie in 2027. Oh, like, you mean, like, no one's. Like, I mean, I mean, like, a kid who's in high school right now. You never know, man. I mean, I would have told you, like, when Trout came up, there's no fucking shot anyone's, like... Paying anyone $450 million. But then it happened. And obviously, Trout's, like, such an outlier, given the scenario that, like, 
you know, there's generational talents and then there's Mike Trout. Um, yeah. Like, there's there's Aaron Judge, there's there's Mookie Betts, there's Francisco Lindor, there's guys like that who are signing these $340, $350 million contracts. And then there's Trout, who's on another level. And I think a guy who could actually be on that level is Shohei Otani. It'll be interesting, too, because just, like, he's a unique physical case if you get what i'm saying like we don't know how his body holds up long term so that'll be interesting to see Degrom's another interesting contract how much money is he worth per year how much do you pay the injury risk all that stuff you know there are going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of interesting contracts given out this you know this offseason a lot of interesting and and next year i think within the next three years there's there's at least three superstars who are not signed long-term that will be soon. And that's Soto judge and it's Otani. Soto's an interesting one because I feel like a lot of his market value was what he could become as he gets older. And we haven't seen that yet. You know, I think that's something I banked heavily on like, look, well, he's 22 and look what he's fucking doing. And it's like, well, he'll naturally get better and progression isn't always linear. So we've seen this with Vlad too, where it's like, well, look at how good Vlad was last year. Right. He was only 22. And this is the thing though, is like, there are certain guys who have the best season of their career when they're 22. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I mean, even Mike Trout is that way. I think where like his best season might be his rookie season, um, and which is kind of crazy to think about because I mean he didn't win an MVP his first two years, right? And he's had such crazy years, but but like that's not really my point. My point more so is like when you look at a guy like Soto, people were comparing him to Ted Williams. Go look at Ted Williams's baseball reference page or his Fangraphs page. The the idea that Soto could be that is probably unrealistic. And I know it's more of a play style thing than like a raw, you know, he's going to put up, uh, Ted Williams put up 12 win seasons. I I don't think Soto will ever be doing that. Uh, but, you know, who knows, I guess. I guess the interesting thing with Soto is that, you know, we're talking about, well, his, his stock is down, right? What if Soto were to just next year, run a 190 wrc plus like something oh, it's entirely possible. yeah and the oaa for like every other year he's a good or horrific defender maybe he gets that good oaa year and he goes out and he has like a nine win season right like what if he just goes out and does it right now the padres are probably more pressed to sign him his market value just went up if anything if i'm the padres i try to sign him right now i try to do anything i can to try to see if that yeah like if i'm gone san diego up. right now i'm trying to see if i can get that 15 440 that the nationals winning give him sign him to that right now right because his market like there's a because it'll only go up from here i have a unless unless he gets injured right i was sneaking suspicion that come next year we're going to be talking about oh my god so like we were you know we overreacted to soto being this or that or whatever it may be like or I'm going to be sitting here doing fucking victory laps because soto finally had a better season than trout like i'll be fucking shirt you know swirling around like that'd be my world series right there (laughs) uh but no like seriously i i mean even the Nolan, look at the Nolan Arenado contract a year ago versus today. A year ago, a year we were, ago, we were saying me. like, oh, you know, that trade, the the Rockies did well. They, you know, they got $50 million to take a bad contract. Um, and now we're looking at it and Nolan Arenado might win the MVP. Right. And like, he's had a seven win season. The Cardinals are, you know, one of the best teams in the National League. Their offense is loaded. 
and he's right in the thick of it. He's one of the best players in baseball. And, um, you know, it's always been a knock on Arenado that, like, he's never, you know, he's been super consistent, but he's never been the best, right? He's never been the best third baseman in the league. He's never had a season where he was the best third baseman in the league. He might not be this year. It depends on what Machado and Arenado do in the last week of the season. But either way, he'll be top two. And yeah. for that reason, for that reason, I think, you know, we're looking back and we're saying, I can't, I can't believe that take a, a year later. And I know it made sense at the time, but it's just unbelievable now the difference. And I know, I don't know who the, the Rockies got back for him. Gomber, who stinks now. He was, yeah, but they got good, a good fit last year. There too. I think it was someone, he has a very hard to pronounce first name. Ezekiel. Last, uh, not, no, no, that was, he that was drafted. Uh, no, no, I know who you're thinking of. Tovar, that's that Tovar. In that trade. It was a Montero, Julius Montero, I believe, something like that. It's a ca- third baseman, third baseman, a catcher. Yeah. Um. What am I looking at, Rockies? Uh. Yeah. Alurus Montero. Yeah, he's 24 though. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, and McMahon's Cardinals, already the third baseman of that team. He's a very Cardinals good defender. Basically, got a seven-win player MVP candidate for free. Right, and you know, if let's say Arnado goes back to being a four and a half win player next, you'll be like, "Wow, we really overreacted." So you know, like it's it's just that players. But I don't even think then, like you get four and a half wins from Arenado every after season, seven, and you're completely happy with that, especially after a seven win year, right? You know, yeah, like so then that more. adds up, you know, over the course of his, you know, the next five years, seven plus nine nine, so what, twenty five? Uh, you're looking at twenty five WAR over five years, and that's half of a Hall of Fame career. Right, so, and he's gonna probably go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know what he'll go in as. Well, that I guess that's a that's something that's way past what way, I I thought I saw people saying Lindor won't go to the Hall of Fame. That's an unbelievable take. But that is that is that is a horrible take. I'm sorry. Well, doesn't think, Lindor have like 30 plus career war or something? I think close he is 40. He's over 40. Yeah. So uh, just just the he's 42 and he's 28. Clarify like, for people at home. Uh he currently has. Right, he he currently has five more war than Aaron Judge in his career right now, and he's and he's two, two years, years younger. younger. So just that's unbelievable to me, by the way, that yeah. Lindor is younger than Judge because he seems like he's been like at the top of the league for so much longer. But um, here he is; he's having the second best season of his career um, after everyone wrote him off, like everyone. Steamer did not write him off, therefore, boom. I don't think I, I didn't see this. I mean, technically I did. I did tweet out. He's going to have his second best F war season in his career and fucking bang. Uh, right now he has the second best F war in his career. And, the, just and it's say. basically locked in that he will, unless bang. he somehow puts up 1.1 war in the next seven games or, or somehow loses, or yeah. negative 0.8, which I think he'd have to strike out every time and miss every play to do that. Yeah. But just um, want to say uh shout out, shout out, shout out, Jack. Cause uh, fucking bang! Uh, you remember? Is, I have I have a screenshot. A... I have a screenshot of Jack saying that Lindor will never have a one thirty WRC plus again in his career from last year, and literally the next season he did it. And so I really, really need him to stay at exactly one thirty or higher. He's at exactly one thirty right now. He can't finish at one twenty nine. The funniest thing about all of this is that just like with the White Sox last year, I switched up on like the Lindor takes the second before the season started, basically. Like I was a big White Sox hitter last year and I was like, they're going to win the division. They fucking won the division. Bang. Lindor. Yeah, but they won it last year, which is all that really matters. Right. And then the Lindor takes 
uh, you know, I switched up on that shit and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Lindor's gonna have a great year this year. Bang. Yeah. And so, so then, like on the, on the topic them. of the Mets before we uh, wrap this up here, uh, they call up Francisco Alvarez. Um, it's confirmed. Now I don't know exactly what they had said. I think Friday. So probably tomorrow. I assume. I, I think I read Friday. I could be wrong though. So tomorrow he'll be up. You know, you call him up biggest season, biggest series of the season. I feel like this is a little bit short-sighted but um nevertheless he'll probably not start any games but i guess he's there as a you know a bat a pinch hitter if you need one um might play might might make the postseason roster i don't know i i don't get this move to be honest with you but we'll apparently see. he's a dh like I don't know. I, I like it because you know what? Fuck it. There's no reason not to, I guess. But I think they should have done it months ago. Yeah, it should have been sooner. If you're going to do it, why do it with, you know, why? With like, seven games left and three of them against the Braves. Right. He's going to start why his right career in now? October. Right. Why couldn't it be last? Like, what was stopping you from doing it last? I guess, I mean, he also got on like an insane stretch in September. He was really bad when he first came up to AAA. And I guess they felt like that they just want to ride a red hot Alvarez into the playoffs and just kind of say, fuck it. You know what? Just get the most production True. possible. And that you know there's there's some truth to that, but at the same time, you know Alvarez was red hot in Double A when he got called to Triple A, and he immediately began to slump really bad. So I'm not saying that's going to necessarily happen at the major league level. I'm just saying you know seven what is it seven games right? You know we both know that in seven games you could have you know the worst outcome ever, the best outcome ever. Like the, there's too much volatility there to go out and have any expectations for Alvarez. And, well, and I also at feel the like same time like there's there's a scenario here where Alvarez ends up being like, you know, if the Mets do well and he's a big part of it, he could end up being like you know kind of a legend, uh, so to speak, already in seven games and the playoffs. Right, so, you know. If he runs into like three or four home runs, you know, in the playoff, and from now until the playoffs, you know, or like the first round of the playoffs, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna start a lot. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't he's know. A, he's a DH. The Mets have struggled with um, Darren Ruff is bad. Yeah, so, he's been dog shit. So like Vogelback, I think has been fine for them, right? Uh, he's yeah. been good. Good plays, pulling solid power. Good, good player. Yeah, I mean, like uh, he's a great platoon bat. He's. Um, since getting to New York, 140 WRC plus. I'm assuming he's played mostly versus uh, righties. Yeah. Um, could be wrong, but yeah, versus righties, he's got a 148 still. You know, he's he's doing his job. Darren Ruff, on the other hand, is not doing his job. And so I guess maybe you want Alvarez. I don't know if Alvarez's splits um, are good, like our, our normal lefty splits. You know what I mean? Well, normal righty splits versus lefties, like where he kind of rakes against lefties. But, you know, I have no idea. And I don't know if I can check that. But um, even if he doesn't, like, he's probably still better than Dan Ruff. Yeah. And again, it's all about just running into a couple barrels. Uh, we know Alvarez has ridiculous power. We know that. I mean, yeah, he's got 70 grade power. Yeah. You know, worst like, case scenario. It's, like, it's legit 70 grade power, too. And I also think. I think he's overrated by some people and underrated by others. I think Jack um, specifically over, uh, underrates him, but he I think he does it just kind of trolling. 
Even I mean, I don't. That. Where do you put it? Like him? Did he put him like eleventh or twelfth? He put him like thirteenth, which is fucking crazy. I don't know if that's like, fucking. I don't know if that's fucking crazy. I don't. He's like the consensus number one. No, he's not a consensus number. He's an MLB pipeline number one. There's a there's a fucking. He's, a, he's Fangraphs number one too. Fangraphs and pipeline. They're very public. They're just not. How do I put it? The the problem. So this is what kind of gets Alvarez knocked down on lists, right? Number one, and this is the big one. It's unfortunate. The position he plays, right? Like you're not gonna yeah, see but a like, guy. Adley was number one, and no one. Else Adley was also a generational pro. Adley was a far better, like Adley was Buster Posey, Joe Mauer type guy. Alvarez is not in that level of pro. Obviously, That's not to say he can't. And again, I'm not saying that doesn't mean he can't reach that point. I mean, Buster Posey and Joe Mauer aren't the only good catchers in you know the 21st century, right? Uh, but with that being said, when you look at okay, likely outcomes. Alvarez is probably going to play, you know, 130, 130, 140 games a year, probably play about 110 of those, 120 at catcher. Uh, He'll probably be, if he's a good defender, a three to four war player um, because catchers just don't run really high wars, right? They just don't do it. Like JT Ramos right now is having a really fucking good year for a catcher at a six point, and that's, you know, sub seven war season. And that's probably, you know, one of the best catchers. Yeah, but sub seven is a crazy, like, that's right. That's an insane benchmark. There's only three players in the league with more than Correct. seven war this year. Actually, it's it's five because it's Judge, Arenado, Machado, Goldschmidt, Otani. But Correct. But here's my my kind of my case point here. Lindor can run a seven war season, and you're pretty confident he can do it if he gets, you know, good I offense think, and a defense you know, like, good. The thing about Lindor is that his defensive ceiling is uh, – defensive floor is so high and ceiling really – that, and he like, plays a lot. And he plays all the time. Like, he could put up a nine or, like, an eight or nine win season out of nowhere, and it wouldn't really be that surprising. Because if he, like, runs his WRC plus up to 140, and he's probably an eight-win player. Right. Because, you know, kind of just, uh, I want to look at, you know, catching seasons. I'm going to do split seasons since 2000, right? I think it's, Posey had a 10-win season. Right. Posey was, and again, this is where I kind of mentioned, uh, remember, po- you know, when we talk about Adley, you put him in that same category as a Posey. Right, there have only been four catchers since 2000 to have an above eight war season. If you expand that to just shortstop, so I'm just going to use shortstop, no other position. And this is why you see a lot of shortstops get ranked very highly. Like, you know, you have Ellie De La Cruz, Anthony Volpe, uh, Gunnar Henderson when he was on that list. In terms of shortstops since 2000, uh, you have a you have a rod, a rod, a rod, a rod, a rod, a rod. I think Lindor did it. Um, no, got... no, whoa, wait, 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 it's the same number, it's four. <laughs> Holy shit, I'm, I'm wrong. I thought you were talking about seven win seasons. Oh, seven. Oh, I meant I said eight, but seven war seasons, you have uh, nine. But if you look at seven war seasons for shortstops, uh, you have 12. And I is that counting uh, now? I, I guess Lindor is going to cross that threshold when he Lindor will get it this year. Right, he's so six point eight. So I mean, um, obviously, it's not set in stone. All that... positions. I guess I just do all positions because other positions, outfielders seem to check have center whatever. field. Yeah, center field might be the position. There are a lot of positions that have run. Like maybe I also remember shortstops didn't really start hitting until this year, or not this year. It's the last like decade or so. Yeah, so like if you run seven seasons since uh, seven win seasons since two thousand for center fielders, there's twenty three of them. Right, uh, Beltran, Hildago. Hidalgo, I don't even know who the hell that is. Right, like uh, you can see two from McCutcheon. We got great, we got Grady Sizemore. We got Andrew Jones, another Beltron, another Jones, another Sizemore. We got Granderson, another McCutcheon, Kemp, Edmonds, Trout, Trout, Hamilton, Trout, Trout, Ellsbury, Trout, 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 Judge. 
So, right. um, you know, you look at center field and that's kind of where you're going to get those massive war seasons just because of the positional adjustment. And they're always good defenders, great base runners. Just typically that's like the, the build of a center fielder, you know, um, and then you've got a guy like judge who may not be the best defender in center field. Um, he's a much better defender in right field. Uh, not the greatest base runner either. You, you know, these, you look at like the one and two here, the like trout and uh, judge seasons, the 10, the 10 win seasons. And they're, they're much, much different, but at the same time, like you can kind of come to expect that from center fielders, whereas other positions, maybe not so much. Um, if you check right field, I think there's probably a few. I know Betts did it and um Judge and Harper, right? Yeah, Harper, Sosa, uh Zobrist, JD Drew, Jose Bautista, another Betts, Magli or Dona uh, or Donez. There we go. Bellinger and Yelich, Walker, Sheffield. So I mean there's there's 18. Soto did it, Ichiro. There's 18 in right field. But and, you compare, you know, the, the shortstop position and the catcher position, there's not as many as um, the outfield positions, but the shortstop position is changing, whereas the catcher position isn't. Like, those I mean, shortstop catcher, seasons are recent, and you're getting, sorry to cut you off, but guys like, Lin, guys like Lindor and Tatis and, and Turner and Bogarts and Correa, these are all, there's five guys, I just named them, that could have seven war shortstop seasons next year, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and um, another thing, you mentioned catcher isn't changing. Catcher has changed in one regard. Guys are playing less, right? Like you mentioned all the six, seven world players for catcher. None of the latest one is 2014 Luke Croy and Posey. The last six-win season before Rio Muto did it this year amongst catchers was 2016 Buster Posey, right? And you know, you know the, like, funny thing, the funny thing to me is I look, is that there's actually more second base seven-win seasons than shortstop in the past 20 years. That's pretty funny. Um, which is interesting. Uh, Jeter never did it, which is surprising to me. At he least not after the year defense. Two, not after the year two thousand. He did it in nineteen ninety nine, but um, we're looking two thousand on. But some of these, like if you if you sort by shortstops, um, there's two seasons here that um were third base seasons, which is Machado in twenty eighteen and Bregman in twenty nineteen. Those are third basemen, um, who played like you know, a certain amount of games that short that qualified them there. But, you know, that's not really the point. Like you look at the catcher position and I get what you're saying with Alvarez, but at the same time, like maybe it does, it actually plays in his favor considering how much better he will be than the average catcher versus the average shortstop. And a guy like Gunnar Henderson, for example, who's ranked higher than him on certain people's prospects lists. Again, I, I don't want to use this to like sit here and say Alvarez fucking sucks. He's a loser, this or that. Like, it's just, it literally just comes down to when you look at just war value. And, you know, people can say, well, you don't compare players across positions. And that is true. You do not, like, you don't say, oh, Buster Posey has less war than, like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a Lou Whitaker. Lou Whitaker is better than Buster Posey. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, obviously, that's absurd. At, like, their Hall of Fame cases, Buster Posey, like, you know, there's kind of that 60 war is the threshold. Right. right? But, but Buster Posey. Posey will waltz into the Hall of Fame. And, so and, he, didn't, and he didn't put up 60 war, and neither did Molina. And uh, Posey put up a career war of 57.5. Obviously, short career. Could have played more, for sure. He had a great, great season last year. I don't know. Like, I know why he retired, but, you know, he obviously From a production didn't. standpoint, he could have done more. Yeah, I get yeah. it. And I know there are certain players that production isn't everything for them, and so they're going to retire when they feel like it. 
And then there's certain players who are going to play until, you know, the day that the league doesn't let them because they can't and they're not good enough. And um, for a guy like Posey, he never got to that point. Um, you know, but at the same time, like, you look at the the catcher position and, and uh, you know, will Adley Rushman ever put up a 10-1 season? I don't know. I don't I don't think so. And so can you really make that fair argument? And I know we said seven earlier. So even if we use seven as a threshold, will he ever put up a seven win season? I know his defense is insane compared to, um, to Alvarez, but I don't know. It's, it's an interesting comparison because I don't, I don't think that his position should play that big of a factor in the prospect ranking for him. I guess that's my main point here. I understand. I just, the way I see it is like, okay, who's going to like, who's got the higher chance of giving me the most like war value straight up. And that, that might be a flawed way to look at it, but you Especially know, I look given, at like, like the replacement level is such an arbitrary idea. Like what is the replacement level catcher versus a replacement level shortstop, given the fact that it's so much easier to find a shortstop who can fill in, play good defense and hit a 100 WRC plus. I don't know about that. I would argue, like, if the Yankees were to start Kyle Gashioka every single day, that w- they wouldn't be. They were going to do that this year until Trevino walked. Like, they were going to just casually trot out a guy who's never had like a better than eighty WR seventy WRC plus over one sixty two games. Yeah, season. but the other thing about catching is like as it stands right now, and you can just this frame. Is such, this is a subject to change. You can have a sixty WRC plus and be a positive asset whereas in any other position on the field you can't do that and i think that's kind of where you can say well it's not too difficult to find an average catcher it's just really difficult to find a superstar catcher and, and i don't even know if there is a superstar catcher i think adley league might right be now. the closest thing to it i think adley and jt ramuto i think gets underrated in this i think like real muto is is as is probably as close as you'll get i think as you get there i think because like what Real Muto does as as an all around player is just insane to me. The you know the one twenty seven yards he plus the six BSR like he's a he's an elite base runner as a catcher. Rushman has a four point seven. It's all um, and then you know you compare it to the other guys who qualify at catcher. There's only five of them, but like Will Smith, great catcher, but he'll never put up those type of seasons like what even Real Muto is doing right now, which isn't the best of his career. Um. I don't know. It's interesting. Or maybe it is the best of his career. I guess but, the thing I'm interested to see with any of these guys, with, with Alvarez, I guess, is is he going to be a good catcher or is he going to be a superstar catcher? If he's a and superstar there's a catcher, major difference. Right. There's a, the gap is mad. Like, Jose Trevino was a, was a good catcher this year. He's a 3.4 war player. Like, not to discredit what he's doing, but... You know, we're, you know, Yankee fans and myself included have been like, holy fucking shit, Jose Trevino. He's had, I think, the best F war for any Yankee catcher since, I think, prime Russell Martin when he played with us. Like, you just, these things don't, like, teams just don't have these great, great catchers. You know, and you, don't see that you look at um, a guy who the average casual fan will rank very highly on their catchers list, a guy like Wilson Contreras. You know, he's had a three-win season this year and 109 games obviously is an injury issue there. It'll but be catching is injury prone. You play catcher, it's gonna happen. Right. And he's underperformed his, you know, uh X 
expected numbers a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, like 130 WRC plus is great for a catcher. You don't see that very often. And if Alvarez is that, like, let's say Wilson Contreras this year, if that's what he averages for his career, if you're the Mets, I mean, that's better than what they've had at catcher since Mike Piazza. And it's not close either. Like, it's a huge leg up for them. Having a consistent three-word catcher that can play every day is a fucking massive advantage. And, like... It's that's what I guess makes it hard to rank Alvarez. I I, I kind of dock him for it, you know, a little. I don't want to dock him to the point in which like I, he might not have like I'll probably put him somewhere in like the ten range, you know, somewhere in that spot. I think that there are just a lot of really good outfield and shortstop prospects that will make their way on there. I guess with Carroll and Henderson graduating, you know, he'll slot his way into the top ten is like definitely. Well, and he guy. might be graduating too, depending on. Well, he I guess he you know yeah he he, he might technically be. graduated, but like. You know, you you'll see guys that are still on the on the list even after the like like on the pipeline list. Alvarez is one, Henderson is two, Carroll's three. Those three guys are all in the MLB now, and then four and five are Rodriguez and Volpe, and and then Walker, Mayer, Cartaya, who's another catching prospect. He'll, I'm assuming, you know, since he's still in in high A ball, he'll end up being probably the number one or number two prospect at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You'll see certain guys, but then, you know. We all expected Mar- Marco Luciano to be the top prospect this year, or one of them, and then he's kind of fallen down the list a little bit. So you know who knows, but and yeah. that's the thing about prospects is you you never know, especially uh, catching prospects and pitching prospects, um, where they're so injury prone just because of the position they play. Uh, more so pitchers than anything else, but catchers have the same issue. But um, you know, I think. We can wrap it up there, though. Thank you guys all for listening, and we'll see you in episode 72. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.